Psalm 86. I read this recently in the last week or so in my just Bible reading in the morning. And it just, um, it just really helped me. The Bible has a way of doing that, you know. Just helping us. And uh, that's why we read it every day. It's food for our soul. So let's stand together, please, and we'll read a few verses. Beginning in verse 1. Notice, notice the title, A Prayer of David. So this, is, this psalm is a prayer. The psalms are so helpful. They are poetic. They, they're poems, they're songs, and they were used in worship. When I read these psalms, I think about singing this to God. And, and, and by the way, they, they continued to sing them in the New Testament. Paul wrote, you know, to the church at Ephesus in Colossian church, he said, you know, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, they're singing these songs back to God. And uh, so I, I always enjoy the psalms. Verse 1, a prayer of David, it says, number one, verse 1, bow, here's the prayer. Bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me. For I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O thou, my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant. For unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all that call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplication. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Aren't you like that positive confidence? Thou wilt answer me. Among the gods, there is none like unto thee, O Lord. Neither are there any works like unto thy works. Our Father, we thank you for the precious word of God tonight. And it's just a blessing to read it to hear it read, to sing of its truths. Lord, we thank you for the power of the Word of God. And Father, we need in our lives, in our homes, in our churches, a return, a revolution to the Word of God, to the love of the Bible, to a commitment to the truths found in this precious book a revival of interest and adoration and devotion to you, Lord, through the Word of God. I pray that you would bless our church. Thank you for our people. The love that's demonstrated for truth. May we continue to draw closer to you and be about your business for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Most often, I think, when we think of the Psalms, I'm just going to give you a little introduction before we get into the text. 
Most often when we think of the Psalms, we think of the devotional aspect of the Psalms, but they're really rich in doctrinal and theological truth, in doctrines about God, the attributes of God. We'll see some of this in the Psalm we're looking at tonight. But when you read through the Psalms, you just see great recording of the attributes, the character, the nature of God. Even of the inspiration of Scripture, the val- this valuable doctrine that God inspired His Word is taught in the Psalms. The mercy, of course, and the grace of the Creator are taught in the Psalms. Prophetic insight concerning the coming Messiah, the promised Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ, is taught in the Psalms. The hope of heaven, the reality of hell, all these things are taught in the, in the Psalms. And so you get a lot of theological truth in the Psalms. But also there's a lot, and I mentioned this, of devotional encouragement found in them. I mean, many of them were written by David, whom the Lord Himself called a man after what? God's own heart. A man after God's heart. Not just a man after God's hand. Not just a man who was interested in what God could do for him, but a man who was after the heart of God. That's why you see this devotion in the book of Psalms. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my heart, my soul after thee, O God. Another place David said, my soul followeth heart after thee. Following after God, that devotional aspect. And I want to tell you tonight, for me personally, this corrupt heart needs to be reminded and confronted with the possibility that a mortal man can have a heart that seeks after God. That's why we love to read the Psalms. It encourages us in our devotional life. Songs of praise. Songs of thanksgiving to God. But then this is another thing the Psalm offers almost daily. And that is it gives examples of the emotional extremes that we sometimes see in our lives. Sometimes the psalmist is filled with overflowing praise, joyous praise, steadfast determination to follow after God, persistent optimism, believing. I love to read and follow people who believe that God can do anything. But not only do we see that positive aspect, we often see discouragement and disappointment, even despair. Songs of praise, songs of lament, sorrowful. We see that in the Psalms. And you say, well, why would you read that? Because I feel that way sometimes. And it's good to hear someone else feels the same way. I love this book. Oh, I checked today, just out of curiosity, over 350 times I've preached sermons from this one book of Psalms. I love the book of Psalms. And tonight I just want to look at the 86th Psalm and see an example of some of the things that are here. And I want to do two things. I want to just look at the truths in this passage, some of them, not all of them, but some of them, and think about how they fit into our life. How God wants these truths to shape our thinking. But also I want to encourage us to think about reading the Bible for meaning. 
Not just to check it off our list and say, well, I read my Bible today. But to see that God speaks to us through the Word of God. God speaks to us through the Word of God. And the first thing we want to mention here, make note of in Psalm 86, is David's personal relationship with God. Look in verse 2, it says, Preserve my soul, for I am holy, O thou my God. God was not just a distant creator, someone he had heard about. He was a personal God to him. As a matter of fact, the phrase, it's an interesting phrase there in verse uh, 4, or excuse me, in verse 2 where he says, For I'm holy. That, that phrase gets my attention. For I'm holy. We think of holy just being like sinlessness. The consecrated heart. But, the, but I am holy there. The word holy actually means set apart. And what David was saying in this prayer to God was that his life had been set apart for God. He belonged to God. He, be, he believed that his life was to be lived for God. And by the way, if you're saved... You too belong to God. And your life should be lived first and foremost for God. Not for self, but for God. That's what he means when he says, I am holy. Verse 2, still preserve my soul for I am holy, O thou my God. Save thy servant that trusteth in thee. He saw himself as a servant of God. You say, well I... I can believe that. I can recognize that. I'll go along with that. David was God's servant. But I want to tell you, if you belong to Him, you are to be His servant. We are His servants. Our belonging to God, this is a prayer. Notice again the title, Psalm 86, a prayer of David. This is a prayer, but I just want to suggest that our, our praying should include the fact that we belong to God. Jesus taught us to pray this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, we are related to Him. He's our Father. I would go along with the idea that in many places, including this place, there's always a need for Bible understanding and theological growth. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. But I'll tell you what's needed even more than that. And that is having a personal relationship with God. We're knowing Him and walking with Him, and talking with Him, and belonging with Him, is the, is the greatest factor in our life, a relationship with God. So we see this in David's prayer. It was a relationship with God. Our greatest purpose in life is found in serving Him and living for Him. But we also see a second thing in the psalm, not only David's personal relationship with God, but we see the struggles that God's people often endure. In verse 2 he says, Preserve my soul. Protect me. Help me. David often felt overwhelmed. He felt like he was in the minority. He felt like his enemies had the upper hand sometimes. He needed God's protection. David knew what it was like to be persecuted. 
When he says there in verse 2, save thy servant that trusteth in thee, he's not talking about spiritual salvation like forgive me of my sins, save me. He's talking about deliverance and protection and help in times of difficulty. Sometimes people endure struggles. That's one of the reasons I think it's important to read the Bible is to understand that God never promised it would always be easy. Another aspect of this example of this, how people struggle, look in verse 4. He says, rejoice the soul of thy servant. That's an interesting phrase. He's talking about a joyful soul. And I'm of the persuasion that most often the soul is not talking about just the spirit of man that gets converted when you're saved, that will, that's already, already uh, seated with Christ in a sense in heavenly places that's been transformed, been actually been converted, been quickened is a better word for it. But the soul includes your emotions, your thinking, your, your feelings. Do y'all have feelings? Everybody, anybody ever hurt your feelings? No? Well, I'm fixing to. No. <laughs> he said, preserve my soul. Rejoice. Then he says, rejoice my soul. I, I, I know that David and the psalmist, not just David, often expressed being emotionally down or discouraged. Sometimes David would say um, things like, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Why are you down? You ever ask yourself that question? I have. Why are you, why are we, why, you say, well, I'm just, I just think we have to be that way. Well, I think the lesson of the psalm is when we feel that way, we ought to talk to God about it. We ought to talk to God about it. The struggles people endure, and one of them is just being emotionally discouraged. Uh, there's one place where David said, out of the depths have I cried unto thee. I'm down way down, but he's crying unto God. Rejoice, my soul. His soul needed help. In verse 4, look what it says, Rejoice, the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. He said that more than once in the Psalms. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up. I lift up my soul to thee. That's a matter of faith. It's a matter of prayer. He wanted God to restore his joy. He's the one that said in the 51st Psalm, Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Young person, there is an inner joy and peace that can only come from the one who made you. The struggles that people endure. But he also experienced not only these emotional battles, but look in verse 14. He said, O God, the proud are risen against me. Those are real people. And the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul. He was the target of persecution. And have not set thee before them. These people are not God-fearing people. We talked a little bit about the missionaries and the things they face. And the recent letter from China and those kind of things. These are, these are, these are real opposition. He experienced genuine opposition. 
And he knew that opposition. Look at, look at the, the verse 14 we just read. Oh God, the proud are risen against me. And the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul and have not set thee before them. You know, he felt like his persecution was, had to do with his relationship with God. And by the way, all those who follow him will suffer persecution. Right? That's what the Bible says. Yea, all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And sometimes that's persecution in the form of verbal persecution. Sometimes it's in the form of emotional uh, struggles that we have, that people that are uh, not supportive or encouraging. But, but, but there's also, I think, a, a, a spiritual aspect of that. The devil hates what we do. He hates what we stand for. He hates who we are. We're part of the family of God. He hates our Father. There's this matter of spiritual warfare. But let me, let me encourage you, and this is what the psalmist teaches us, that in our struggles, we should not let them distance us from God. They should draw us closer to God. To seek Him, to rely upon Him, to depend upon Him, to trust in Him. So we see, first of all, David's personal relationship with God. Second of all, we see the struggles that God's people endure. But a third thing we see in this psalm is the recognition of God's worth. The praise and adoration and recognition of who God is. Look in verse 5, he says, For thou, Lord, art good. I love that statement. God is good, young person. God is good. Amen. He's always good. And what he does is good. Amen. You've probably heard people, or you've heard of people, who sort of wanted to act like God wasn't fair, God wasn't just. And I'm telling you, God is good. And it says there in that same verse, 5, He's ready to forgive. That's good to know, isn't it? He's always good, and He's ready to forgive. And then He goes on and says that He is plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. What a mouthful. He's good. He's ready to forgive. He's plenteous in mercy. Not sparingly. He's plenteous in mercy. And not to some, but all those who call upon Him. These words are reminiscent really of something that we see in Exodus, the words of Moses when he said this, The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. That's our God. Look at verse 8. He says, Among the gods there is none like unto thee. He's saying that to God. There's none like unto thee. Oh Lord, can, can I just suggest to you tonight, it's a good thing every once in a while just to tell God how wonderful He is. Amen? Just tell Him. You say, don't you think He knows it? I think He wants to hear it. How wonderful He is. And He is wonderful. There's none like unto Thee. There's no purpose. There's no person. There's no place. 
There's no position to be compared to Him. He is exalted. He is all-wise. He is ever-present. He is, he is omniscient. He knows everything. You know, I love to read the verses. There's a couple of places in the Bible where it talks about the idols of man. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have feet, but they cannot walk. Our God is above all gods. Idols are the creation of men, and they're powerless. Look in verse 9. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. He made the nations, and he made everything that is contained in them. This psalmist teaches us that in our prayer, we ought to recognize God for who He is. We've all been there. Where we say our prayers. But mostly our prayers are about what we need. Maybe our family, maybe our finances. But prayer ought to include a recognition of who God is. And how God is. There's none like Him. And verse 9 goes on to say, Not only all nations hast thou made, but all nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship, shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. That has to be prophetic. It has to be looking toward the future. It reminds me of what Paul said in Philippians when it says, Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They're going to glorify His name. They may criticize Him. They may ignore Him. They may belittle Him. But I'm telling you, one day they're going to bow before Him and praise His name. All nations. Verse 10 David says in his prayer, For thou art great, and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. God is great. Amen? He's great. And He alone is God. And His works are wonderful. We ought to praise Him for His greatness. Amen? You say, well, where's... Where do you see God doing great things? Just about everywhere. Amen? Just about everywhere. We were, uh, Brother Jimbalvo accompanied us down to um, the airport the other morning, about three something in the morning. We went down there and not much rush hour traffic at that time, in case you're wanting to go into St. Louis when it's easy. But just looking at the stars, and he shared with me this, this app, this gizmo he has on his phone that identifies those stars and shows you what they are. You know what? God, my father made those things. Amen. Amen? It won't be long until some evening I'll be driving into my, our drive that goes up to our house. I do this every year, more than once usually. And I'll stop and turn out the lights and wait on them to go off. <laughs> and I'll just watch those. We used to call them lightning bugs. They just surround you. And they just turn that light on and off. Got a little switch inside of them. My father put it in there. 
I'm telling you, God is great. This is God. Young person, don't be guilty of going through life and looking and living and acting as though God doesn't exist. His works are, to, are wondrous. They're wondrous. They're wonderful. They're to be recognized. They're to be praised. We ought to praise God. He alone is God. Look what he says in verse 12. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart. And will glorify thy name forevermore. I will praise thee with all of my heart. March Madness is upon us. Right? Some of you don't even know what that is, but that's okay. Basketball fever. Right? The road to the final four. And you ought to watch those fans. Fanatics. Fans is just an abbreviation for fanatic. I mean, they are cheering their team with all their heart. Kind of like my wife does at the kids, grandkids' soccer game. You ought to see her running up and down the aisles. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but those same people come to church. They're going to sing about the God who made everything out of nothing and holds all things together by the word of His power. And it doesn't seem to excite them quite as much. David said, with all my heart. With all my heart. Look at it. I will praise Thee, O Lord, in verse 12, with all my heart. I'm talking about the recognition of God's worth. He alone is God, and He deserves to be worshipped with all our heart. That's His devotion. Now keep in mind that this same David is talking about the emotional struggles he's enduring. And not only that, he's talking about the literal opposition he's facing. He's going through things like we go through things. He's emotionally dealing with this, this roller coaster sometimes we experience, and he's facing this opposition, but at the same time he's saying, I want to praise God with all of my heart. Verse 13 says, For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. He was thankful for the mercy of God. He was rejoicing in God's deliverance. He delivered my soul from the lowest hell. Honestly, I don't know everything that David meant by that. But I know what it means to me. He delivered my soul from the lowest hell. Aren't you glad for God's mercy? That God did not, does not give us what we deserve. All of us deserve judgment. None of us deserve to go to heaven. None of us deserve the blessings of God. None of us deserve the goodness we see every day in our life. But God has been merciful to us. Verse 15. But thou, Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. God is a merciful God, and He's full of compassion and that word long-suffering is one of my favorite attributes of God. That means He's patient. Aren't you glad God's patient? 
I've met some impatient people. One of them I see in the mirror every day. But I'm glad God is patient with me. I'm talking about the psalm, the psalmist David, this, this prayer of David talked about his struggles, but he also talked about, in a, in a, in a, really I, I think we've seen a majority of the verses about the recognition of God's worth. But let's notice another thing in this psalm. Look in verse 11. And this is the desire he had to follow, this God that he loved. Look in verse 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Now that verse could be an entire sermon, an outline. And I'm not going to preach the whole sermon to you tonight. But this ought to be a part of our prayer. As he's talking to God, he says, teach me Teach me your way. Teach me thy way. Think about that as a prayer. Think about you praying that prayer. God, teach me your way. And many of you do pray that prayer or something similar to that. Teach me thy... By the way, that's the heart of a disciple. The heart of a disciple is not saying, I hope God will bless what I do. The heart of a disciple is saying, God, show me what you want me to do. Teach me your way. There is a way, the writer of Proverbs says, in two places. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the the wages of that way, the end of that way is death. Teach me your way. God, I want to know your way. I want to learn. This is the surrendered life in prayer. I don't pray this every day, but it'd be a good prayer to pray every day. Lord, teach me your way. Show me your way. People who are committed to their way are not followers of Jesus. Following Jesus means we want to follow His way. And notice what He says about this in this verse 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord. And then look, here's the second point of the message. (laughs) I will walk in thy truth. If you'll show me what you want me to do, then I'll do it. You show me. God, if you'll show me your way, I will apply it to my life. It may not be popular... But if it's your way, I'm going to do it. That's the heart of a disciple. I'll practice what I learn. And then look what he says in this. Here's the third point of the sermon. You say, you never preached a sermon this quick in your life. Here's the third point of the sermon. Unite my heart to fear thy name. He's saying to God, God, I want you to unite my heart to fear your name. See, all of us have a heart problem. Sometimes we can have a divided heart. A part of us that wants to do this, a part of us that wants to do that, a part of us wants to follow God, a part of us wants to determine our own direction. And David was saying, I don't want to have a divided heart, but God, I need you to influence my heart. I have good news for us tonight. 
God can influence our heart. He can help us with that. Young person, that'd be a good prayer to pray. God, unite my heart. Parents, let me ask you. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if your children just woke up every day with the desire just to please you and to please the Lord? Ready to clean their room, excited to wash the dishes, doing their homework without prodding. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And you know what? If it was in their heart, they could do it. The reason they need to be reminded is because it's not always in their heart. But the same thing applies to us. I need God to work in my heart. I need God to influence my heart. For it is God which worketh in you. In you. Both to will and to do of His good pleasure. God can work in our heart. And what is He asking Him in verse verse 11? To unite my heart to fear Thy name. To have a holy reverence and respect for God. A holy dread of displeasing God. By the way, that's not natural. The psalmist also once asked if the, if, to be taught to fear God. Teach me the fear of the Lord. This is not natural to fear God. What natural for me to get up in the morning thinking about God. Think about what God wanted. Think about how God would ha- what God would have me to do. That's not natural. To think about God, you know, to think about what His will. But you know what? The influence of God upon our life can do it. This is the heart of a follower of God. Now let me close tonight. We've talked about our personal relationship with God, going through our struggles with God and going to God in our struggles, recognizing and praising God for His worth, for His character, Maintaining a desire to follow Him. All this is in this little psalm. The 86th psalm. Just reading the Bible. What does it say? What does the Bible say? But also we see this, what I want to call the integral role of prayer. Because prayers, this is a prayer, right? This is a prayer. And prayer is essential and fundamental to our walk with God. And if we would take the time tonight, and I would urge you, maybe you could use this in your private devotions one day. Just say, I'm going to spend my, my time reading today on the 86th Psalm, and I'm going to just think through the words and the verses and what they say. But intertwined throughout this Psalm is the practice of prayer. Look in verse 1. Bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me. God, please hear me, for I'm poor and needy. Verse 3, be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Verse 5, plenteous in mercy unto all them that what call upon thee. Verse 6, give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer. Verse 7, in the day of my trouble I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. In verse 11, he begged God to show him his way. Teach me thy way. In verse 16, O turn unto me, David says, and have mercy upon me. Verse 17, show me a token for good. You just see that this prayer, what a wonderful prayer. He pleads for God to listen. He confesses to God his great need. I personally 
Love that first verse where he says, Bow down thine ear, O God, and hear me, for I am poor and needy. That is so contradictory or co-contrasting to the Laodiceans who saw themselves in need of nothing. I'm poor and needy. Now, I don't know how you think about David, but I I think of him as a wealthy man, blessed of God, used of God in a great way over the majority of his life. But in his mind here, he's saying, God, I need you. This matter of prayer ought ought to really be a part of all that we do. Asking God to help us. It's an interesting phrase in verse 5. Plenteous in mercy unto all that call upon thee. You know, God has a reservoir of mercy that is, what should I say? Um, that's That's not tapped into. Because people don't call upon Him. He, he wants us to call upon Him. He, he prayed to God continually and he was, he was convinced in verse 7 with these emphatic words, the last part of verse 7, Thou wilt answer me. I had a long conversation with God one night recently. It may have been last night or the night before about this whole matter of prayer and God hearing us and answering us. And, you know, people, sometimes we get this idea that prayer is only effective if we feel a certain thing or see a certain response. But that's not true. God called us to live by faith. And when we pray in faith, believing... We can trust that God's working, whether we can see it or not. Isn't that, aren't you glad about that? He hears our prayer. Thou wilt answer me. He was confident that God would. Now I want to suggest to you now that this is a good pattern for us to follow. This life of consistent prayer and life of praise. I feel like since we've covered it all, we need to read verse 16 and 17 and we're finished. Oh, turn unto me, David says, and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant. God, I need your strength. Not my strength, I need your strength. And save the son of thine handmaid. And verse 17, show me a token for good. Show yourself strong in my life. Show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed because thou, Lord, hast hopen me. Don't you like that word? Thou, Lord, hast hopen me and comforted me. The word hopen means he's helped me. God, because you've helped me. I'll tell you, I need his help tonight. We need His comfort and comforted me. The life of a Christian is the greatest life there is. Amen? It is the greatest life there is. 
But it's not without its challenges. It's not without its struggles. It's not without its times of emotional misunderstanding. It's not without times of discouragement. It's not without times of opposition. But the psalmist teaches us, this psalm and many other psalms in a similar way, teach us that God is always good and He's there for us and He'll give us strength and He'll hear our prayers and He'll even work in our heart, unite our heart to fear Him and to love Him and want to serve Him. I'm telling you, God can do for us everything we need for God to do for us. Now the flip side of that is, God's not going to force His will on people, right? He's not going to do it. He's not going to make you love Him. He's not going to make you want to serve Him. If you want to live for yourself, if you're His child, you'll experience chastisement. I assure you of that. If you're really His child, but He's not going to make you serve Him. But I'm telling you, if you want, if you want to live the life that God wants us to live, if you want to live the life that we've been admonished to live, you have all the help you need in Him. And He is available. He's there to help you. He's hoping me. Amen? And He's comforted me. And by the way, you say, well, sometimes people think, well, I'm the only one that have these problems. No, there are a few others who've had them. Paul said one time, I'm troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. That's what he said. Trouble surrounds me, outside and inside. But you know what? God is sufficient. Amen? God is sufficient. When you hear this, when you read these words, doesn't it just say to you that David had a real personal relationship with God? Absolutely. And that's what we need. That's what we want. A relationship with God that's real. Amen. And that starts with trusting Him as your Savior, being sincerely turning to Him, turning from your sin and turning to Christ. He's there for you. Thank God for that.